Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Higher Calling podcast. Today, we are reviewing the second chapter of Hebrews. Some key points we are discussing include the greater message we are getting from Jesus Christ as compared to previous from prophets and angels. Also, giving this message its due attention and the consequences for ignoring Jesus's message. We left off talking in chapter one, discussing the concept that Jesus is the heir apparent to the throne and therefore has a higher position of authority than angels. So let's introduce everyone in the studio today. Of course, I'm David Dowdy. I'm Nick Berenger. And I'm Daniel Marsh. All right, the last couple verses of chapter one, just so that we have a smooth transition here, says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So chapter one introduced the idea that not only have we heard from prophets and angels, but even more significantly, we've most recently heard from the very Son of God himself. Some key highlights included prophecies from Psalms that built the foundation that the Messiah was both God in the flesh and the heir to the throne, which lends much authority to Christ, indeed the authority to establish the church. And we'll get into that a little more here in the next couple of chapters. So let's get into a chapter two. Daniel, do you want to read for us to the honors of reading the scriptures for us today? Of course. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received with just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and with gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his will. Okay, there's a lot here in the first four verses, beginning with the idea that we have just heard something that deserves more focused attention and effort than anything we have heard in the past. The author is referring to chapter 1, verse 2, which mentions God has spoken to us through his Son. So those things which Jesus spoke are of greater importance than anything previously heard through all the angels and the prophets. And, and so just to hammer this home, not only do we have a greater messenger than we had before, uh, but we also had God come right alongside this messenger, vouching for him uh, the whole time with miracles and wonders. Uh, and so all that uh, with a greater messenger, uh, with God vouching for him, that all adds up to a weightier rejection. Right. So the rejection is the hearers of the message have 
now accountability to do something about it. And the idea that if we don't pay attention, we may let these very important concepts slip and that we're um, accountable to protect those things. There are any number of ways that modern religion is in danger of letting these things slip. Which version of the Bible does your congregation use? See, the farther away from the original text translations, the more likely it is that these things are no longer preached. Does your translation have anything added? A quick story here. I was in a big box store after church one night getting some things for the house. I was, of course, wearing my church clothes, slacks, button-up shirt, tie, etc. And a man approached me and commended me that my attire was very nice and mentioned that I looked like I could possibly be Jehovah Witness due to the conservative nature of my appearance. And I thanked him and was pretty quick to point out that I was not of the Jehovah Witness persuasion. And of course, I feel that the Bible is quite clear that we have an eternal soul that will end up in either heaven or hell after death. And that various points in the King James Version points this out, including uh, the part where Jesus mentioned to the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And of course, you know, we were pleasant to each other, but he carefully mentioned that if we only inserted one or two words, then the entire phrase would be something different. Well, that's not okay. And it's no surprise or secret that the Watchtower organization does this. Also, there are other ways to let the teachings of Christ slip. We could stop reading the Bible regularly, stop bringing our Bibles to church, and feel like the concepts in the Bible are outdated, no longer applicable, and use other creeds instead of the Word of God. Being quite clear here, our worship of God does not require a catechism, a Book of Mormon, or any other additional liturgical texts. If you have a Bible, simple faith in God, and basic instruction, you can live a life pleasing to God. Yeah, well said. Totally agree. I think that some basic observation of our universe tells us that everything naturally decays over time. And the only way to maintain a condition of something or to grow that thing to something healthier is regular maintenance or as you said uh, attention and uh, from my perspective our spiritual life doesn't seem to be any different we can expect that if we don't consistently put forth effort in our relationship with God it will decay and we could even develop over time some kind of cancer like a false doctrine so we have to be careful I, I agree with those points. And before we move on to any of these other verses, there's still a lot in these verses two through four. Um, it talks about in verse two that the message that we've received from the messages of God, which is angels and prophets and the law of Moses, it's, we, we believe that it's true. And that if we were to receive justice for our own actions, we, we would not be able to stand because Jehovah, God, 
is a perfectly just God in the eyes of the Jews, because this is Hebrews. It's written to the Jews. We need to remember that when we're reading the text. And to neglect the ordinances of the law was the worst thing a Jew could do. And as uh, we'll read later on, no one could fulfill the law in its entirety. Therefore, we all would have received punishment for these sins. And you can read that in Romans 3.23. Um, so then the next verse comes and is a, a nice follow-up to that. And how shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation we've received? There's no escape it to be found guilty before God. This is why salvation that Jesus brought to mankind is so important. And we shouldn't treat it so frivolously. Um, salvation of mankind is of the utmost importance and it needs to be revered and held very close in our hearts and that's that's the thing we need to not let slip in our lives and and then the verse 4 just follows up again that God gave proof to the message of Christ that it is true through miracles and wonders and then through the coming of the Holy Ghost that 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 gift in our lives and we we didn't we need to keep that very very um, special so let's let's add on to the next couple of verses. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testifieth testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Okay, so this, these last four verses reference Psalms chapter 8 and Psalms chapter 144 which is an observation on the charge given to Adam and Eve and on all of their descendants, on all of mankind. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Then, the verse wraps up by saying, yet with all that, there is yet one thing that mankind cannot subdue, and that is death. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So for the rest of this chapter, we'll explore what this means, that Jesus Christ should die. There are a couple of things to define, and that is, death is both a physical thing, that our physical mortal body should die, will die, and also that our spiritual, immortal soul might be subject to the results of poor decision-making, and through sin, taste spiritual death. Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, became sin, took on the sins of the world, and the physical body of Jesus experienced 
death, which he ultimately conquered, having risen from the grave. So we can read on in verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So this was God's will that Jesus Christ would have to suffer death and the humiliation of dying a public death on the cross. A sin offering required shed blood of an innocent thing. In Old Testament law, it was an animal, the best of the flock, the most prized object. And yes, death is brutal. And you could consider it to be unjust for the innocent items to have to suffer. And that highlights just how displeased God is with sin and that the wickedness of sin requires an atonement, a reparation or compensation, restitution, whatever synonym uh, you want, it has to pay for that sin. Another thing that is not being taught in churches or schools and it's being legislated more and more frequently is that there are consequences for poor decisions and removing some of those consequences for poor decisions is not good for society. And this is why the death of Jesus Christ is so emotional because we feel the guilt of sin, cannot correct it on our own, and the consequence of that sin was that an innocent person had to die. And we can carry on reading verses 11 through 13. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children which God hath given me. Something that is sanctified is set apart, it's cleansed, prepared for some holy activity. He that sanctifieth, or Jesus Christ, is unified with the ones who become sanctified, or set apart through Christ's atonement. Here we have references from Psalms 22, verses 22 and 23, talking about brethren in the congregation, and also Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18, speaking of the children that Isaiah had. Both of these prophecies speak to flesh and blood relation of siblings with a common parentage, saying that Jesus Christ is going to experience the same thing as all of us. He's going to be human, going to feel temptation, and ultimately going to die uh, holy a holy, clean sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And that leads us into the next four verses. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, 
he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to make like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Yeah, so just a quick interjection here. There's a uh, really cool idea that I, that I just want to mention quickly. It's uh, So Christ assumes the role of a high priest, which, you know, the, the role was to be the middleman between us and God. That's, in short, what a high priest, what a priest does. So uh, his time on earth better prepared him to be that middleman. We, we hear that in, in these verses we just read and uh, so that he can understand on a more intimate level what we're feeling as he plays that middleman role for us to God. And an interesting question is, would God understand our pleas for help as well if it wasn't for Christ's time that he spent on earth? And just an interesting question. That's a good thought. I, I think that while verse 17 brings it out clearly, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Aaron and Moses were just metaphorical symbols or types um, of Christ, Aaron being the high priest and Moses being um, the early prophet or messenger from God. What they did uh, is helped mitigate the wrath of God fairly often and at times caused God, and I'm quoting here, to repent of the evil which he had thought to deliver. And it happened all the time. And Jesus Christ being that intercessor with God is critical to our salvation. And just to add a little more to that point, many people will go back to the Old Testament and bring up the, the failings of the patriarch or those notable people um, in Israeli history. But we must remember that they were a type of what was to come, a, a mere shadow, a, a, just a semblance of what the real thing was. And Jesus um, is that high priest. Jesus was that messianic figure that was to come. And Aaron and Moses were just representing parts of that and Jesus is a perfect embodiment of those uh, metaphorical types he, he, he is the real thing um, and he is the faithful sinless merciful he's the perfect embodiment of of everything we need and so we'll read this last verse for in him that he himself hath suffered being tempted he is able to succor them that are tempted and that's a good way to sum up chapter 2. A few definitions that we read. The seed of Abraham. They, these are not only Jews or the chosen people of God, but also any human. Anybody who is mortal, subject to death. Gentiles are any non-Jewish individual. They also received not the promise of Abraham. 
Gentiles didn't have access to the temple. They didn't have a high priest and were even more separated spiritually from God's promise of favor. Jesus Christ became human. And here's where the brethren part comes in. The author used prophecies that spoke of brethren in the congregation, which were all Jews and had common ancestry, uh, ancestry, and the siblings of Isaiah, which had common ancestry. By becoming human, Christ became our brother. Have you experienced loneliness? Are you going through circumstances that nobody around you can understand? Are you trapped with no way out of what you're going through? You have a brother. You have a flesh and blood older brother that you can pray to and talk to. Proverbs 18.24 says that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We may have family that turns their back on us, that have disagreements with us, but Jesus Christ is our advocate who will give us a chance and who will ask his Father, our Heavenly Father, to provide for our needs out of his heavenly riches. And then death and the fear of death. The one who has the power of death, which is the devil. God can't tempt man and doesn't tempt man. There's only one being that brings temptation and then spiritual death, and that is Satan. Read through Genesis chapter 3. God laid forth a law and provided a consequence of that law, which was death. The serpent beguiled Eve, lied to her, and stated that the consequence really wasn't going to happen. Note that it was Eve's observation that the serpent beguiled her. She discovered that the serpent's words were not true. Note that Eve ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and still was physically alive. Note also, they were cast out of the garden, given additional punishments, and yet were still physically alive. But Eve's observation was that the serpent had beguiled her, that had lied to her. She realized that she had been lied to and wasn't physically dead. So we know this is talking about a spiritual death. We know that God can't lie, can't tempt, and whatever God says happen will happen, and it does happen. Eve experienced that spiritual death after she committed sin. She felt her guilty conscience and knew that she had died. The scriptures say that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That common guilt is a shared experience. In fact, you may think that you haven't heard God talking to you, and you may have an understanding inside yourself that God doesn't look upon you or visit you or care about you. Uh, And one of the first experiences that we all have of God is through our conscience, our understanding of right and wrong, and the guilt that comes from committing a sin and the experience of spiritual death. And then verses 17 and 18, Jesus Christ was our brother. He experienced temptation. He suffered like an animal on the cross and took on our sins such that God, his father, could not look upon him. And then according to the perfect will of God, he rose again from the dead, defeated death, and provided a way out for all humankind, 
Jews and Gentiles alike. So this is a good place to stop, and we'll pick this up in the next podcast. It's really been a pleasure, and we trust that you found the discussion both challenging and encouraging. As always, thank you for listening, and if you have any comments or would like to contact us for any other reason, please visit www.ceasesinning.com, that is C-E-A-S-E, S-I-N-N-I-N-G, ceasesinning.com, or email us at biblestudy at avondalecog.org. We love to hear from our audience and would be happy to further any discussion or pray for a need you might be experiencing. Have a great day.